Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Comic Books, Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I am joined tonight by two of my fellow comic book enthusiasts. Why don't you guys give a shout out, let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, this is Justin, and I'm going to rock and roll all night and party every day. Hey, guys, this is Tony, and I'm going to wear dental floss up my butt and hit you with a stick, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So, yeah, the, the, the sort of sort of cryptic. Justin was kind of on the nose, but so you guys know what we are doing tonight. We're doing a comic book-themed episode, of course, but we are doing a musical themed episode so the edict by our good fellow fanhole justin was to select some comic books that pertain to some sort of musical content and so these may not necessarily be comic books that we've gotten off the spinner racks or anything like that but they all are comic books that we thought of that pertained to music and kind of musical I don't know, like like crossovers or or tie-ins or adaptions or what have you. So I guess what I'll do is I'm going to turn it over to Tony because we decided, you know, we're going in chronological order of the release of the issues that we all picked. And Tony's is first up because it had a cover date of April 1991 and was actually released in February of 1991. So that's the earliest book on the docket. And I'll let Tony tell us more about it and go into what it's all about.
in a world where people sing, people can also be cats. What? Okay. <laughs> my, my, my comic is the often mocked, but still kind of like maybe a small cult following has formed around it. I enjoy it because it's silly. It is the character Nightcat, and I did her special, her super special that introduced her. She actually first showed up in Marvel Age. I actually did some research, and it was like a short story, but her first full-on comic appearance is in this super special. 60 damn pages. It's long, but it, it breezes by really quick. That's what I was telling Derek before we started the show. In case you have never heard of Nightcat, good reason. Her book lasted a whole one issues. The 90s were not kind to Stan Lee. And he was one of the creators of this character. Stanley also during this time period, during the 90s, created Speedball and Ravage 2099. And the sad that the most popular character out of those three is Speedball. Nightcat was an idea in the 90s to inject some musical flair, I guess you would say, back into Marvel. They had Dazzler in the 80s, and this was supposed to be kind of like the Neo-Dazzler. She wasn't a mutant. She got her powers like a lot of classic superheroes. She got drugged. She got injected with, with meow syringes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Not too far off from the truth. She was supposed to be like, yeah, yeah, this this new musical superheroine. The bigger problem was is the book was a little cheesy. And I say little and it was kinda a lot cheesy. And the whole idea was it is supposed to be kinda deep in the the seedy the underworld of the music biz, how it's cutthroat and everything. And everybody just came off very much as a stereotype. It didn't really seem like they were particularly evil, besides the fact that they were evil. You know, it's like just, you know, like crooked record producers and, and, you know, drug lords. It's like she didn't really have her like venom or green goblin like Spidey had at this point. Basically, her, her, her origin story. To, to introduce you to her, her name is Jacqueline Tavares. So we, all, we also have the, the ethnic thing going on here, so that's kind of cool. We have diversity in this comic. She is a Latino woman, well, Mexican, and she wants to become a singer. She's really big on it. She's, she's wanted ever since she was a child. She also has like a mother who died because she was a drunk. And I'm like, yeah, your mom sounds cool. It's kind of, I don't know, I, like I was kind of sad, like, because I, I think, I'll just say for myself, since... You know, like you said, it's been mercilessly mocked all over the interwebs. Like, and and one of the people who have done a review on this comic was Linkara. So I, I think I was, like, overly trying to give this comic, like, the benefit of the doubt, even though I started, like, cracking up laughing, like, you know, I don't know, like, ten pages into it or whatever. But I was I was desperately yeah. trying to, like, take it seriously. And I, I think when, when her, like, it, it's like her mom is an aspiring singer and yeah. tries to go to all these auditions and everything and she gets shot down well it, yeah i mean it sounds like you know she just she has no connections you know maybe she's not talented it's it's hard to tell from the comic panel whether she was or wasn't but you know the the, the notion is after endless rejection, you know, like, she finally just had so much that she actually, like, drinks herself to death, pretty much, and and then, you know, it, it creates this kind of, I don't know, overprotective nature. It, it's funny, like, the singing part comes from the mother, and then the crime-fighting part comes from the father, who's, like, a Her cop, dad, yeah. you know, and, like, yeah. and, like, 
he basically becomes overprotective and is like, you know, that there won't be any singing in this household because it made your mother drink <laughs> herself to death, basically. So, and he he like almost literally says that it's like there's no music in this household. That, yeah. I, I was reading that and I was like, man, this guy like got all footloose on us. He's like, you know, throwing <laughs> down the gauntlet about this. Yeah, he's. <laughs> No dancing in my house. Yeah, he's very hardcore about it. But yeah, but but again, like I said, that's what that's one of the issues with this book is it's really heavy handed. It's just like you know the characters are just so like spot on of of, of what they're supposed to be. Like the dad's supposed to be strict, but he cares, you know, and all that stuff. However, Jacqueline, she she want this is her dream, you know, damn it, and you know she's she's a special kind of dirty looking snowflake. I'm just saying, she like. She always looks like she just got out of bed. I don't know. It's, it's the hair. She still wants to be, you know, a singer. She she goes for it. And because of this, she creates a, a double identity. And this is not to become a superhero, actually. She becomes Nightcat, kind of like Jim and the Holograms, just, just to be able to sing. So originally, Nightcat was just her stage name. So being before she was a superhero, Sherry had this persona. That's also where my intro kind of came from, because, like, her her stage costume is let's just put it this way it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination <laughs> yeah when and she was like oh you know she's like oh i'll make up a secret identity and i was like okay and then the next panel it's like what's her secret identity to have like less clothes and her face is not concealed <laughs> in any way and like that that's <laughs> supposed to like hide her identity from her dad and she becomes super famous i was like mm me grimlock question your logic <laughs> well you know if she's if she's daddy's little angel and then she goes out dressed like a slut maybe the, the dad it's funny because when the dad finally does see her he's like is that my daughter no that couldn't be my daughter but it looks just like her you know so there is a lot of that kind of you know clark kent you know wearing glasses type thing going on there Jacqueline, you don't have the natural sluttiness of night cat there's no way you could be the same person <laughs> exactly exactly however Due to the fact, uh, again, I don't like to cite when Lean Cara is right, but there is one thing that is kind of true about music comics. When someone sings, you don't know if they're good or not because it's just words on a piece of paper. You, you can't really get that. There was an album released, though. We'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, apparently she is good. She's so good that she becomes a huge success. And like I said, this is where the CD record business gets into it they, they basically have these designer drugs uh what was it you called it derek meowth <laughs> serum or whatever well like they, they, aren't they like aren't they like there's a suitcase full of coke that's at the record studio and i'm kind of like why is this such yeah. a surprise like i mean you'd think they'd get coke <laughs> shipped in all the time to record studios but here it's like oh my gosh what's in this case <gasps> cocaine <Coke>. like what <laughs> you know like so i'm just kind of like come on man like you know what, what, what i don't know i that that was kind of there, there's some naivete about that i think or at least i don't know it, it was it was funny yeah, because of like, you know, the party scene and everything like that. She gets injected with not cocaine, which would just make her a corpse. She gets injected with the, uh, the uh, you know, Meowth serum or whatever. And th this is something that is, is supposed to do. This was not an accident as far as what the serum is supposed to do. Just like the super serum for formula, this serum is supposed to give people like animal characteristics. And, okay, I mean, not to sound, you know, too rude or too jerky. But, like, you know, you hear about Spider-Man. He gets the powers of a spider. Okay, that may not seem really cool, but, I mean, he's got enhanced strength. He can climb walls. He's got a spider sense. And 
spiders are kind of creepy. I don't like spiders. So, I mean, that's kind of a cool idea. Or you have someone like uh, um, Bronze Tiger, who doesn't really have, like, actual animal powers, I guess. But he's, uh, you know, he's a strong fighter and he's like a jungle cat. You know, that's what he takes his persona after. Nightcat is kind of a house cat. She can see really good at night. And she got claws. Kitty got claws. And that's about it. She's got really good vision, and she can, like, you know, cut you a little bit, scratch you a little bit. It kind of reminded me of, I don't know if you guys remember the early Family Guy when Meg had the extendable fingernails. <laughs> Just, like, she, like, scratched somebody, and he was like, ow, that hurt. Did that draw blood? No, but still, ow. <laughs> Evil better watch out, because this kitten is frisky. Meow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kitty, Kitty's, Kitty's on the prowl. But yeah, she, she, you know, of course, gets her powers, and she, she resolves to, to not just be a singer, but to, you know, fight wrongs and evildoers everywhere under the guise of her stage name, Nightcat. And I'm like, wait, again, to, to echo Justin, that's not smart. <laughs> That'd be like if, if Peter Parker was like, hmm, I have the powers and abilities of a spider. I shall call myself Peter Parker Man. <laughs> And again, she doesn't wear a mask or anything. She just wears her, her basically her stage get up. But in, instead of like just w- walking around with dental floss up her butt, she also has a stick because she can club people with it. So after that, it, it does kind of breeze by a lot. There's a lot of, you know, the origin stuff, you know, like where she has to like, you know, fight like, you know, this possible, you know, like, like thing that's like, you know, too much for it, but it's not really. It's just like, you know, more corruption and like drugs. And yeah, it just, it, it goes by so quick. It just kind of starts to, blur through the pages and for a book that's so long like i said it just it doesn't seem to have a lot of content besides the origin wouldn't you say Derek? yeah i mean i i'd agree with that i mean i i I feel like you glossed over the one important part of the origin that made me die laughing because i was desperately trying to to take the comic seriously and everything but when when her dad is a cop and her dad is undercover when she nightcat also gets abducted by these goons who are smuggling cocaine in the record studio and they take her back you know to this secret lab where they're doing all this experimentation and you know they're like you said they're they're basically like shooting people up with like gorilla serum and all these other animals and of course she gets put on the operating table and gets shot up with you know as i've said the the meow serum basically right so she's gonna become (laughs) night cat but in the midst of all this, the dad is sitting there going like, that really looks a lot like my daughter, but it couldn't be, but I must help her anyway. And so he basically breaks his cover and and goes in to <laughs> save her. And then oh, yeah. immediately, after he, he, immediately after he does that, like, I don't know, like two or three guys bust through the door and full of full of lead and i was just like i know it's supposed to be like the most serious like scene ever but it's just like she's on the operating table and then the next panel it's just like he gets like 40 holes blown in him like he's freaking robocop or something and it's like dad no and it's like it's like you know uh, you know they have this whole like sort of heartfelt exchange where it's like i didn't mean to keep you from doing singing and and basically like everything is sort of aired out even though he's like in the middle of dying so it's almost like it's like it's like deathbed is like don't feel guilty we're cool (laughs) it's like they tried to recapture uncle ben but uncle ben's like 
you know, fuck that great power and great responsibility thing. You're all good, Peter. Goodbye. Uh, Be know? a wrestler. And then he's <laughs> like, dress slutty and sing songs and fight crime. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, and it's like that's kind of kind of what happens there. And at that point, I sort of like kind of was like, oh, okay, this is just kind of ridiculous after that. And it, it kind of felt like. Um, it kind of felt like the Halle Berry Catwoman movie to me after that, where it's just these yeah. these two women like catfighting and like you know it, like Sharon Stone and and Halle Berry like fighting over stuff and like it it, it I mean you know it's like if that's if that's something that it, you know is interesting to you that's fine and and you know it was it was what it was but I mean after that you just basically have yeah. her defeat you know, this, this evil Harris or whatever she was that was behind all the shenanigans. And, and then, you know, uh, you know, apparently, you know, night, night cat's going to go on. Yeah. And like, like I said, they like build her, they build her up so big and she's not that great of a villain. She's just like, like you said, Sharon Stone. It's just like, I'm a chick. It's like, okay. It's like, you messed with me. I'm going to pull on your hair. I hate you. You know, like that, that kind of thing. Like, you know, and and that's you know, I mean, I don't know. All these all these dudes seem to be afraid of her, you know, because of her status yeah, yeah. and power. But I mean, you're, you're just kind of like, okay, so she, you know, I don't know. Nightcat like drives a car off the roof or whatever she does. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, like you know, shows us. And and speaking like that's why the dental floss thing cracked me up because they they really went out of their way to have these shots where she's jumping around and fighting people and you were always seeing like the the crack of her ass like in all these fucking panels <laughs> and stuff like for no good reason i mean i i would say like that i did enjoy the art just because it's dennis cohen like if you've ever read yeah if you've ever read like the, his run on the question like i mean this is right around that you know, era. So if that if that's something that you enjoyed, you know, there there is that kind of familiarity to the the art and the storytelling and stuff like that. So as far as that yeah, goes... Yeah, it's not a bad-looking you know, book at all. Yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah, believe um, you just lost over something very important. The name, what, of her, what me and Derek the name of her car is the Cadillac. Get it? <laughs> yeah, it's the Cadillac. Yeah. Well, this is, this is like this kind of like, you know, Stan Lee lost his groove or whatever type thing that Tony alluded to where you're just like I, I mean I don't know how much of this is Stan Lee and how much of this is just corporate like you know Larry's like coming up with a product to sell because the the other thing well, that I, we, I actually you know, I actually looked it up uh Derek it wasn't just Stan Lee according to uh some some research I did it's uh Jim Salacrope uh Barry Dutter and Dennis Cohen and Jimmy Palmiotti were obviously the artists, but it wasn't just Stanley. So I don't know if they were just like, how much was Stanley and how much was like, you know, hey, let's slap Stanley's name on this, you know? Well, and but I mean, he he has a cameo within the Nightcat that like that 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 that's one of those like self-effacing like self cameos where it's like, hey, true believer, I'm Stanley, and he looks like a little more studly than you would imagine Stanley would look in real life, you know? He's like. <laughs> A little robust, yeah. You know, and he's kind of like, hey, Nightcat baby, it's time for us to do a comic book, True Believer. And she's just like, that'd be great, Stan. You know, and it's just like, okay. Like, you know, and there's even like a little uh, a little editor's note where it's like, golly, we can't be doing this all the time. Otherwise, all the staff would want cameos in 
in comic books or whatever, you know? It's like, well, not everybody is is Stan the Man Lee, you know, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, all, all that kind of stuff is kind of chortle-worthy as far as that goes. But I'm, I, I think the other thing that's kind of worth mentioning, I mean, you did bring up the fact that I was, was going to bring this up, yeah. That there's uh, a, yeah, the, that the whole thing was is, like, Jacqueline Tavares is actually a real person, and they wanted to do a tie-in where a comic book character was a real person, like, have that kind of uh, marketing, that synergy, as they call it, the Larrys call it. And she would dress up as Nightcat. She even had a uh, an entire album called Nightcat. And the, the supposed, like, hit single was Number One House Rule. And the, 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 the album did not do well. Neither did the comic. <laughs> it, it sounded like I listened to a couple of the songs. Like, I don't know, it sounded to me like Paul Abdul. I mean, it, I mean, you'd think at the time it was released that conceivably like somebody could get into the music you know like i i guess there's some talk over whether or not i mean like jacqueline what's her last name tavares is that it tavares yeah 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 like i don't think she actually sang on the album like i think there was like a ghost singer singing the songs too so again she was an actress she has like one imdb credit for like tromeo and juliet <laughs> and like apparently after now this, that's kind of cool <laughs> well I, I, as far as i know after this like she she probably did like a bunch of adult films or something like after this didn't take off like oh, i wouldn't doubt that yeah. you know like and it's just i i think that's all that ever came of it like i i think they thought that this was gonna take off like it, it was weird reading about how this was kind of the original game plan with dazzler but then it didn't work out, and, like, there was no album, and there was no real live person. But yet Dazzler's comic went on for, like, you know, 50-something-odd issues, whereas there was a real person, and there was a real album, and the real person, like, appeared on talk shows with Stan Lee. But yet the comic book, like, what? It, I, I mean, I don't, I've only... All I know about is the, the single issue. See, like, this, this whole thing is, like, really fascinating to me because i like i've never heard of this before you know because you know i don't give two shits about linkara but like when i saw the list of comics we were going to discuss on this show I, I was looking for nightcat and i was like i can't find this anywhere i was like did one of you guys goof did like do you mean nightman like i know what nightman is and then derek finally told me he was like oh no like it, it's this and i was like whoa like I've, I've never heard of this before and then he kind of pointed me towards the actual album and uh, i was listening to the music and i was like yeah this like the music isn't something i would have listened to back then but like now i'm like yeah that's that's not bad like this is it's it's just really interesting to like hear about this because like i had no idea you know nightcat existed or there was ever like an album tied to like a marvel comics or like she was a you know a, a real person basically like this is really kind of fascinating to me so like you know we you know sometimes okay all the time we give tony a hard time but like good job tony like this is like really kind of fascinating like this is really yeah like job well done sir oh well thank you well that's that's the main reason i picked the comic when when you when you came up with the idea of music and that was of course your idea i was thinking like for some reason nightcat was the first thing i thought of because i was just like that was a real person she was supposed to be like you know a real superhero quote unquote 
And she, and uh, I actually did, uh, I looked it up while you were talking, Derek. Jacqueline T Tavares actually does sing. So it might have been her. So, yeah, this was supposed to be a big deal. I remember in Marvel Age when they did like the little preview, they were hyping the shit out of this. They were like, you know, in like the bullpen bulletins, it's like, don't forget to pick up Nightcat number one, Stan Lee's triumphant return to comics. It's like, they were really behind this thing. But it just, for one thing or another, it just didn't take off. One of the things that's really nice about this that is really striking is the, the first issue cover. It's like a really nice cover. And, you know, it's just, they, they had all these ideas as far as like Dennis Cowan doing the art, great artist. And you have Stan Lee, who, even if this is not his best story, he was still like, you know, Stan the man, you know, people wanted to see what he came up with. And like I said, they were really promoting this book really heavily and they wanted you to go see it. It just, for some reason, things just didn't click. They just didn't line up for poor Jacqueline Tavares and people just didn't get into Nightcat. And I think it is kind of interesting that over the years, it has turned into kind of like a cult thing. And it's it's fun to make fun of, but because it's like oddly enjoyable. It's not because it's, it's one of those so bad as good things where you're like, Nightcat, she's silly, but hell, I wouldn't mind if she just fucking randomly popped up out of nowhere. I'm sure rights would be an issue because obviously Jacqueline Tavares is a real person, but you know this was probably one of the first times that there was like actual marketing done to make someone appear to be a real superhero as far as making a whole album. I mean, it's not like, you know, the, the hypno hustler ever had an album. Yeah. Like you said, they must've really been pushing it to like get him to, to do the cover art. The thing I wanted to ask you is, do you remember like where or when you bought this? I, I do actually. Okay. They're mainly a Southern chain of uh, grocery stores. And I just happened to be going through, and it was actually in the magazine part of the, uh, the, uh, the uh racks and it looked really cool it was like it had the shiny cover and it looked really neat and i had read about it in marvel age and i'm not gonna lie i was like you know stanley he could do no wrong he made spider-man this is like the first time he came back in a while like speedball and ravage 29.9 came later and i remember reading this as a kid and i think the subject matter was like maybe a little too adult for me because this is like 91 i'm like pubescent at this point and like the book was entertaining, but the whole time I was just like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was staring at her ass because, like, there's a, a lot of ass shots in there. I mean, I was like a 14-year-old boy. I was like, man, she shows her ass a lot. This is a really great character. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But, but, yeah, I forgot about it for a long time. And, like, it was, it was literally when you said music. I was like, it just clicked. I was like, oh, I got to talk about Nightcat, the the most the most famous musician Marvel character who was never famous. <laughs> I, I was kind of wondering when I was reading this and, and given Justin's mention of the Catolac, you know, I, I was kind of like wondering, like, <laughs> would have this, if it had sort of been a hit, like, would Nightcat have teamed up with, like, Spider-Man? Like, would she have been like, officially incorporated into the Marvel Universe? Because, like, that, you, you, you don't really get the yeah. idea that this is part of that larger tapestry, at least within the context of the issue that that we read, you know? Yeah, she she definitely seems like <clears throat> the, the whole real-world push seemed to, seemed to infer that she was in our world, not in the Marvel, you know, 616 world, if you will, yeah. But she's a real hero doing real things, and yeah, yeah. I but I, yeah, I also wonder if they were actually planning on toys because yeah, okay, I could see them selling the Cadillac, Cadillac, as a toy because I mean it's a car. 
But I'm just wondering how many parents would have just like scream bloody murder at like you know bootylicious you know <laughs> Nightcat you know on the shelves. Well, you... I, uh, I I I want a Marvel Legends Nightcat now. Ow. <laughs> you, you know what I was thinking is not not only you know thinking of the supposed you know tie back to Dazzler, but like what this smacks to me of when I when I read up on Nightcat as as Tony has been telling you all about is you know thinking of Stan Lee's involvement. Like I can't help but think of Stripperella. Like like you know you got Pam Anderson yeah. and it's like oh we're gonna make this comic character of you Pam you know and it's just like I mean it seems like the same notion you know like just you know slightly revised and tweaked it's like well she's a stripper and she's a superhero you know it's like oh she's a singer <laughs> and she's a superhero you know like it's like just kind of like it, it doesn't seem like the pitch changed all that much you know over time so that was that that was something yeah. that i kind of thought of as well i mean this seems like you know a a precursor to stripperella if you will you know like slightly more close just slightly <laughs> yeah as far as nightcat goes final thoughts do you have anything else to say about the talented and vivacious jacqueline tavares her nails are really really long and there are yeah. lots of <laughs> Lots of ass shots. I, I, and, and she, I don't know. It, it's, it, she, she certainly got over her dad dying real quick. <laughs> it felt like. You know? Maybe a couple panels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say, like, if you go into this book expecting something Spider Man worthy, you know, like a, a, a nice coming of age story where a young man has to learn responsibility, you're not going to get that. This was, it was total 90s. It was very, very 90s. And it's fun, it's silly, don't take it seriously. But at the same time, as Justin said, it is kind of a little nugget of history. It's, it's something I think anybody who likes comics will enjoy. And, you know, and then like I said, you, you see something that was trying to form, and who knows what would happen if it actually gotten big. You know, sorry, sorry, Jacqueline, sorry it didn't take off for you. Um, by the way, she got fired after four issues because the, the comic wasn't selling and the, the album bombed, apparently. But, you know, Nightcat, we hardly knew you. And we hardly knew dad ass. <laughs> oh, I think I, I got to know it pretty well in the course of this issue. 60 pages of it. Yeah, yeah. True, true enough. True enough. Just enough of that ass. <laughs> There's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes We're seeing things in a different way And God knows it ain't his It sure ain't no surprise Yeah, we're living on the So I guess I guess we'll move on to the next installment, the next issue that was picked for this episode of Musical Comics. 
and I, I was I was racking my brain trying to think of something from my own personal history that would apply to the whole musical comics theme that Justin had asked us to consider. And what I finally came up with, and I was I was like thinking of it in the middle of the night, you know, like trying to go to sleep and stuff. But you know how like sometimes you just can't let something go, and you're like, I know I can come up with something, and it, it just came to me, and I went. Oh yeah! Like, remember that one issue of Shadow Man where Aerosmith teamed up with Shadow Man? Like, that'll be perfect, you know? So that's that's basically what I picked. Shadow Man issue number 19. This is from Valiant Comics, and, and, and it also worked for me as well. I was also excited because I think I've been trying to get Justin to read Valiant Comics for a long time now, and this seemed like another nefarious ulterior motive a way to fit his theme but also kind of you know uh, sort of expose him to to more valiant comics and stuff like that the cover date was november 1993 the actual on sale date was august 10th 1993 the cover price was a whopping two dollars and fifty cents because it was one of those crazy indie comics that was super expensive the title was called Dark Desires. The writer and penciler was Bob Hall. And basically, like, if you take a look at the cover, you can, of course, see the lead singer of Aerosmith, Steven Tyler. He's got yeah. his <laughs> Eat the Rich t-shirt on. It almost looks like he's going to actually, like, get into fisticuffs with Jack Boniface, also known as the Shadow Man. And... This was around the time frame that Aerosmith's album Get a Grip was released, because that was also released in 1993. And, of course, we can see that the bass guitarist Tom Hamilton, the lead guitarist Joe Perry, the rhythm guitarist Brad Whitford, and the drummer Joey Kramer are all on looking in the background of the cover as there's a sea of concert goers that are about to witness what is about to unfold. Now, the actual story basically begins with what would be a typical Valiant timestamp of August 1993, New Orleans, 4.30 p.m. Some of the roadies are trying to get a deranged Aerosmith fanboy in overalls off the loading docks. He's known as Moondance by a mocking gaggle of Aerosmith groupies, and he tries to honor his hero, Steven Tyler, by playing awful air guitar and silently singing. As Moondance is shooed away by the roadies, a shadowy figure identifies him by his real name, Herbert Kramer. The man claims to know of Herbert's dreams and aspirations, and promises to make them all come to pass so long as Herbert does the man's bidding. Herbert asks the man if he is the devil, and the man says that he's certainly been called that before. The opening splash page features our hero, Shadow Man, in his civilian identity of Jack Boniface, jamming with the band Aerosmith. The band praises Jack's skill on the saxophone and even offer him a spot on their current tour. Although Jack would have jumped at the chance years ago, he has to turn down this offer today. When Steven Tyler heads back to his dressing room, he finds the crazed Moondance collecting items for his new master. 
a pair of Tyler's tights, and in order to become Steven Tyler, his new master will require a lock of Tyler's hair. Steven Tyler immediately discerns Moondance is shitballs crazy and punches him out of his dressing room. Moondance is practically overjoyed that his idol has touched him, even with intended violence. Moondance continues to wrestle with Tyler for the lock of his hair. Jack and Tom Hamilton are swapping stories when Joe Perry and Brad Whitford hear the ruckus between Tyler and Moondance. Jack and the band find their security guards have been remade into mindless zombies. Jack thinks to himself how this can only be the handiwork of his arch-nemesis, Master Dark. Just then, Tyler and Moondance bust down the door and one of Dark Zombies collects the tights while swatting Tyler away. Joe Perry tries to crack the zombie's head open with his guitar, but it has little effect. When some random groupies walk in, Moondance orders the Dark Zombie to hold one of the girls hostage, threatening to break her in two until Tyler turns over the lock of his hair. Tyler, without hesitation, asks for a knife and accedes to the madman's demands, turning over a lock of his hair. Moondance is almost orgasmic when he obtains the lock of hair, and they retain the girl until the trio make their getaway into the night. Joey Kramer thinks Jack might know what's going on here, and Jack Boniface tells Aerosmith the truth, even though he doubts they'll believe him. How the goons are called walking dead men, and that Moondance is going to try and cast a voodoo spell on Steven Tyler. By 5.45pm, Dark and his sister, Sandria, await their mad dog servant at the derelict Paradisio Theater. Dark doesn't comprehend his minions' desires, but he agrees to grant them with the ingredients provided for his voodoo spell. By 6.15, Jack returns home to find his house burning down and his voodoo housekeeper, Nettie, waiting for him outside. Just then, a payphone rings and Dark is on the other end for Jack, asking him to go on a quest. Burning Jack's house down was merely his way of getting his attention. By 10.43 p.m., we can see that Aerosmith is in mid-concert and as Steven Tyler sings the lyrics to Living on the Edge, he begins to lose his voice and ends up running away from the concert like a man possessed. The guys go out after him in the pouring rain. Jack is in his Shadow Man outfit prowling New Orleans when Dark whispers to him that Steven Tyler will die unless Jack serves him. He tries to stop him, but the possessed Tyler kicks Shadow Man away. Jack doesn't want to hurt Tyler and tells him to fight Dark's necromancy. Tyler makes his way to the Paradisio Theater to find Moondance now on stage, having stolen Tyler's voice, singing the song Cryin'. Tyler tries to barter with the sycophant, but Moondance intends to kill him to make the spell permanent. As Moondance begins to choke Tyler, the rest of the band catches up with Shadow Man, who leads them inside the theater. The band takes on one of the Walking Dead men, while Jack literally kicks the shit out of the other. Tyler fights back against Moondance, knocking the voodoo casting doll out of his hands and punches him away. But Dark, now floating in the rafters, has grabbed the doll and plunges a nail into its heart, causing Tyler to convulse and die. Shadow Man, against his better judgment, agrees to serve Dark if he brings Tyler back. 
Dark burns down the theater and tells Shadow Man to go, and he'll find him when it's time. Shadow Man leads Aerosmith out of the fiery theater and disappears into the night. The issue ends with Aerosmith singing Get a Grip at the next night's concert, while Jack ponders what will happen when he eventually reneges on the bargain he's made with Dark. He takes solace in the fact that Aerosmith will be long gone by the time that will happen. And that is the end of Aerosmith meets Shadow Man. <laughs> so I guess I'll open it up to you guys. Like, is it? I, I don't know if this is anything Tony's read before. I'm assuming this is something that Justin's never read before. That is correct. This is completely all new and all different to me. <laughs> So, good, good job on tricking me into reading Valiant Comics. <laughs> Clever girl! My, my, my necromancy has worked. <laughs> I've made you a crazy running man. I, 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 uh, I feel like if you took out the Aerosmith stuff, you'd have like, kind of like, uh, maybe like an early Vertigo title. That would be like the feel of the book. Is that, is that correct, or am I like totally... Off basis. No, no, I, I, I don't, I don't think you're off by that. I mean, I, I think Vertigo was up and running by this point, but I mean, a lot of it was very, kind of. Shadow Man was, was a very supernatural. He was a very occult kind of character, yeah. Yeah, it was supernatural. It was violent. I mean, you know, you, you couldn't help but go through an issue without seeing somebody, you know, get cut up or murdered by like a serial killer or weird backwoods kind of you know there were very touchy things that were touched on you know the the villainous characters they were they were child predators they were you know like jack is a very street level type of character so he would encounter sort of the the seedy underbelly of new orleans as it were in in these kind of issues and stuff and then master dark of course is this kind of all-powerful you know voodoo, voodoo practitioner. i mean I, I i guess i guess you know in context like it might be worth mentioning that like this is not the first time that the crazy running man shit has gone down and usually it, it it's always with the threat that somebody will die but I mean, essentially, like, I mean, it probably wasn't as serious as, like, Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy, but there was a woman that Jack Boniface was at least having a, a you know, a relationship with, and at some point, she is kind of possessed with the same kind of, you know, running man craziness that Steven Tyler was, and eventually, by the time Jack catches up with her, her head explodes in his face. So, I mean, oh, there, wow. there, there was definitely, you know, like, there's definitely, even though within the context of this issue, you might think, oh, well, there's no way they can kill Steven Tyler. In the context of the Shadow Man book, those kind of consequences are pretty real. So you, you can sort of get away with saying, well, you know, Steven Tyler dodged a pretty hairy bullet there, but he just doesn't know how lucky he was or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would agree with what you're saying, Justin. I mean, it, it does certainly have a a vertigo type vibe to the whole the whole thing. Yeah, I was certainly like kind yeah. of like interested in like maybe reading a, some more back issues because like just from the dialogue in the book, I kind of like could glean like you know what was going on, like some of the backstory in this situation. Like it, it was kind of interesting to me. So like maybe maybe I will read some Shadow Men later on. Maybe I will. 
like I, what I wanted to ask is like, did did you buy this because you were reading Shadow Man, or like just because it was Errol Smith, or both? Well, I I guess you know I I, I might say both. I I think it was more because I was reading Shadow Man than because of a, a great fandom for Aerosmith. I I can tell you like around the same. Well, I, I what I can tell you is around this time I I never did own Get a Grip, which is basically the album that was you know the big deal at the time this was being released, but I did own, like, the sort of compilation, which included a lot of songs from Get a Grip, which was called Big Ones, but Big Ones had not only, like, all the big hit songs from from Get a Grip that had, like, Alicia Silverstone and all the videos and all that kind of stuff, but it also had, like, a, a lot of their big hits from, like, a lot of their previous albums and stuff. Oh, you mean like stuff that, like but... Toys in the Attic and Permanent Vacation and yes. <laughs> Pump? Oh, I'm sorry. Did, yes. Am I giving away that I like Darius Smith back then? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I take it you yes. had that album, Tony. Yeah, yeah. That, the, the, the first big single was uh, Living on the Edge. I was going to remark, it's interesting because I did see the cover of this in Wizard back in the day, back in the heyday of Wizard. Do you guys remember Wizard uh, listeners? I know Derek and Justin do, but Wizard was this, it was, it was a comic collector's guide slash hype machine i'm not i'm not gonna like you know fucking myths wars yeah it was a fluff magazine it, it it was it was telling you to buy stuff yeah i remember seeing the cover of this and valiant was really like a darling for wizard for a long time because because valiant was a, a a comic company it was started by jim shooter and he wanted to do more serious comics he wanted to do more mature comics and they were very serious mature comics, despite the fact they had a lot of gold key characters like Solar, Magnus, Robot Fighter, and, you know, so on. But uh, Turok, you know, also. But Shadow Man was a Valiant-only character, right? He was never in a gold key comic, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, Shadow Man was an original creation to the Valiant universe. As far as, like, me reading, like, Valiant comics, like, I mean, I I think what really got me into it was was Unity, because Unity was, what, yeah. there was the, the, free, the free issue of Unity Zero, and then, like, all the different comics crossed over, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was, in case anybody, in case anybody doesn't know, that was, like, their, their first mega crossover event, you know? Yeah, and, and a lot of these kind of Valiant stories, like, I, I think I originally read a lot of them, because by that point, Wizard had hyped up the issues so much, and, and they only, they, I mean, they were still an independent company compared to Marvel and DC, so whereas Marvel and DC were selling millions of copies of things like X-Force and well, Spider-Man. Like, wasn't, like, Valiant, like, originally runs... acclaimed comics originally? Wasn't that the what yeah, they turned yeah. into? Yeah, I mean... I mean they they made like I don't know these these very small print runs of like Mario Brothers comics and yeah. things like that and 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 the same sort of business model was applied to these early issues of you know Valiant stuff so it's like those were hard to find because there weren't as many of them printed and then of course Wizard hyped the shit out of them so all the retailers and comic guys would sell them for obscene amounts of money. So, of course, like, I'm the dumbass who paid, like, I don't know, like, 40 bucks for Magnus Robot Fighter 12 because it had the first appearance of Turek in the Valiant Universe, and then, you know, certain, you know, fast forward from, like, I don't know, 1994 all the way to, like, I don't know, 1990, I don't know, 7, when I'm in you know, college going to Loyola Marymount, walking down Sunset 
uh, or uh, Sunset, walking down like Santa Monica 3rd Street and going into like a music shop that used to sell comics and seeing like that same copy of Magnus Robot Fighter number 12 for like 10 cents. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah, it's like one yeah. of those things where where you know there there was the highs and lows of of that whole collector bubble for that kind of stuff. But having said that, like all the stories were were what really mattered. Like those were what sort of drove people to hunt down all those issues. And and a lot of that stuff I read as like trade paperbacks, like that usually collected the early issues. And then I tried to you know basically keep up with you know the month to month comics after that. And and Shadow Man was like one of those books where I'd say you know. Unity for Shadow Man, like there were like three issues of Shadow Man, and then Unity tied into it in issues four and five. And I think after that point, I pretty much read the book somewhere up into the mid twenties before I sort of lost track of it. So that that's kind of a long winded answer to your question, but this issue, issue nineteen, was definitely in the midst of me being a collector and and you know following you were a speculator no just kidding no no i mean i i i enjoyed the books and 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 i think i think i i don't know to me like i thought he was a refreshing character i mean i i think i tend to i mean we've talked somewhat about this on the show but like i've always brought up like steve englehart as a a writer that you know there, there are certain runs uh, that he's done on famous like marvel characters for instance like the fantastic four where those were the things that i was exposed to early on that spoke to me and of course he was one of the writers behind this when it first started along with jim shooter and then you know eventually like this issue it basically you know it turned into like a writer artist thing and it was you know bob hall who sort of carried on the torch and continued to you know write and draw this book almost to its conclusion like i think it ran for about 43 issues or so and 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 one of the things that was really cool about this book i think was it 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 sort of had these like there there was a heavy structured continuity to it and and there were yeah shooter like his 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 mandate for valiant was everything will make fucking sense everything will work continuity is key yeah and and one of the bombs they dropped on you which was early on was you you would read like you know one of the zero issues and i think it was like rye issue zero and it basically would tell you like sort of the future of the valiant universe and one of the things you'd find out is that jack boniface dies in 1999 like fighting dark yeah, with like all these other valiant heroes and stuff like that. So like, like when I told you how the Running Man stuff had happened before, and like his girlfriend's head popped open, like at one point, like Dark does the same trick to Jack Boniface, and he's running around and his eyes are like bleeding, and it's like, is he gonna die today? And and the the trick was, well, he already knows he's gonna die in 1999, so there's no way. His head can get blown up today, and that's kind of how the issue ends. <laughs> is but it, it's like isn't that, it's one of those. Isn't that like the hook of the series? He knows when he's going to die. That's yeah. his like that's his power more or less. Mm, no, I mean his power is it, it's weird. Like if you read the first couple issues, you'd think he got bit by a vampire or something. But it turns out it's more of this kind of spiritual voodoo type stuff where okay. his housekeeper is kind of like part of this secret voodoo society, and she kind of describes him... Yeah, because they don't really go into this in this issue. You don't really know what he can do in this issue, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't really spell out what his powers are, per se. But it's like, I mean, essentially, he's kind of like... 
he's kind of like uh uh what's her face from the the legion of superheroes like night night girl or night lass like you know how like it's like she's oh. strong at night like so uh, the, the whole vibe Nightshade? is, is that like, her name? no i think it's like night girl or night lass there's, there's so many like legion that, but... there's so many legionnaires i can't remember <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but but it, it basically like like when it's you know basically when the sun sets or if he's in the dark, like he basically is is kind of almost super strength, you know, like super speed, like you know, for for a, a human, you know, he, he he's amped up. He has like super super soldier, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he goes from being like a regular human to like Captain America level type guy, you know, because he's all pumped up. And and what they call it, I guess, is the Loa, you know, the spirit of the Loa. And, like, it's like his soul is coming out to, you know, fight the good fight and avenge wrongs and, and that kind of thing. And that okay. was always his his kind of gig, you know. So it's like, you know, and, and then, you know, you've, you've got the whole vibe that he's, you know, you, you, you see that he's a musician. He plays the saxophone. Like, and, and so there's this kind of thing that's endlessly quoted in the book where he talks about how playing jazz is like free form improvisation in the dark and then of course when he goes out as shadow man to fight it it sort of gets transferred over to his his nightly crime fighting where uh, you know basically free form improvisation in the dark also applies to you know ducking and dodging and weaving and and, yeah. and fighting he, he does seem too, so he does seem like kind of like a reluctant superhero that like he has these abilities but he doesn't seem like you know, he's like, yeah, I want to kick some ass. He's like, this is this is what I got to do. This is this is the hand I was drawn. You know, it's like jazz. I just got to do like what the cars dealt me, that kind of thing. Even for this issue, I got that. Yeah, I, I was gonna I was gonna remark on the the music thing because we kind of were talking all about Valiant and Shadow Man. Dustin mentioned that I I appear to be a big fan of Aerosmith. I, I really was for a long time. I loved Aerosmith. In the '90s, however, there was a point. And I think it was after this album, you know, Get a Grip, where they became this rock ballad band. It was just, you know, crying, you know, like that song you were talking about. Then there was like, oh, God, I don't want to miss a thing. The fucking Armageddon song. And I heard that so many fucking times. I was like, OK, Aerosmith, yeah. go, go, go drunk, you're home. You know, it's like I'm, I'm done with you. But at this, at this point, Aerosmith was still huge. They were still a big thing. I think this is, if I'm not mistaken, this is the album that had Alicia Silverstone with the crazy song. You know, you're yes. crazy. And again, yeah, it's a ballad also. You know, Janie's got a gun. Like, I, I love Aerosmith. They're they're a really good band. And especially for a certain time period of my life, you know, they were a big influence on like some of the stuff I like musically. Seeing them this, I will say, like Justin was saying, it was kind of weird having them there. As a comic... I don't know if it works well, but at the same time, I'm kind of like seeing through different avenues. If Shadow Man was a TV show, this would have been an awesome television episode. You know, this week on Shadow Man, Aerosmith pops in to say hi to the the voodoo fighter from, you know, Louisiana. I, I was thinking it, it felt to me like, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you probably heard of it. There's a 70s movie called Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, and it's kind of... yeah terrible but as a cult following like this comic felt like that done right because I, well, I don't know that's just kind of the feel i got when i was reading this comic it kind of like you know made me think of it i was like yeah this is like a good version of that yeah it's not bad yeah i i think even as a kid like there the the one thing that i'd point to as a criticism is 
I guess in some ways, you know, at some point, Steven Tyler and Jack Boniface, like, it, it, it becomes kind of touchy as to whose story it is, kind of, you know? Yeah. And, and there does seem to be that notion of, you know, I, I don't know if it's a, a matter of ego or part of the contract to stick them in the book, but it's like, Steven Tyler seems probably a bit more selfless than maybe you might imagine somebody like that would be in real life. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it's like, it's like one of those caveats where you're like, okay, like I'm going to let it slide. Like it doesn't, it doesn't ruin the book, but it's just like one of those things where it's like, oh, like just because you're a rock star doesn't mean like you're Bruce Willis and Die Hard all of a sudden, you know, but like, it just seems like he, he obviously you know, fights a good fight, and he's he's throwing all these kind of punches. He's 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 trying to save his his groupie fans, like you know. So it's like there there are those moments where you're kind of like, all right, all right, all right. You know, like, like you're, you're, you're like, like you're, you're, you're like in, in real life, Steven Tyler weighs like a buck ten. You know, <laughs> right? But but it but in this, it's like you know, he's got fists like jackhammers, and. And he's got a heart of gold and, and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of, you know, you're just kind of like, all right, I'll just go along with it. You know, and it's no big deal. But, you know, other than that, like, you know, I, I think th this was one of those things where it just, I, I felt like I struck Eureka because it was, it was something I definitely had a strong connection to. It was something I, I was reading, you know, when it came out on the stands and comic shops and everything. And it also sort of, you know, fit into, into Justin's edict because, you know, you could also talk about, you know, your experiences with Aerosmith, you know, whether it's, you know, kind of, you know, seeing them, you know, basically be sampled by Run DMC and, and coming to like Walk This Way, which is, you know, which is true of me, you know, like, and, 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 you know, kind of buying the album Big Ones and getting into all their sort of greatest hits and stuff like that so i mean from, from that perspective like that's kind of what i can share as far as like fandom with aerosmith like and, and i appreciate what tony's saying like once once they started getting into the whole love ballad thing i mean i i think that was intentional you know the larry's of the world you oh, know yeah. it was it was them making aerosmith have a big push onto a a bigger stage you know where they were trying to sort of say hey we're gonna get these guys in in movies we're gonna make them you know show up in wayne's world too you know you know, it was like it was like this big push to sort of reintroduce them into the youth culture and and also you know never mind the fact that like you said these Alicia Silverstone videos were playing like nonstop on MTV all the time so you know whether it's like you know Janie's got a gun or crazy or you know whatever was you know being played in endless rotation I mean this era was I I I feel safe in saying this was a time frame where I was always watching MTV and was kind of sort of a mindless MTV zombie as far That's as when they played what it told me to listen to. Yeah, yeah. So so yep. I, I, I can I can sort of acknowledge and sort of admit that sort of, you know, on on this podcast, you know, that that was kind of like, oh, well, you know, MTV's always playing Aerosmith. They sound pretty cool. I guess I, I like these guys, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I did want to bring up one, one more thing before we move on. Um, a lot of people at the time, uh, depending on who it was, either criticized or acclaimed, haha, no pun intended, Valiant for having a house style. And the reason that was is because they didn't really get flashy artists. They got artists who were great at proportion, who who knew how to do storyboarding and, and the storytelling, panel layouts. They got a lot of veterans in the industry. And 
one of the things that really upped Valiant's presentation was this was the dawn of digital coloring. This is when digital coloring was like brand new. And one of the things about Valiant books, I remember I, I used to read, I didn't read Shadow Man, but I read Exo Man of War and I read Our Marines. That was one of their later books. And I, I did pick up a couple issues of Rock and a couple issues of Solar. I always remembered like the presentation was not flashy, but it was so detailed because they had these like veterans who could draw and just draw. It wasn't like image where it was just glitz and, you know, flash, you know, it was like, look how big the muscles are. Look how big the guns are. It's like, I, I always appreciated the Valiant style because it was kind of old school with Jim Shooter, but they did take those chances with digital coloring. And this book looks really good. Shadow Man has a nice dark atmosphere and it fits, you know, the, the artist, you said Bob Hall captures Aerosmith. I mean, he looks like Steven Tyler, you know, I mean, does it look just like him? Is it photo accurate? No. But when I look at the the drawing of him, I'm like, yeah, that's Stephen fucking Tyler. I was just going to mention, like, I mean, did you enjoy the art as well as the story in this? Uh, yeah, I definitely did. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of used to Bob Hall. Like, I, I think I think as the series went on, like, depending on, you know, what was being inked and, and like you said, like, depending on certain coloring and the moods, like, it, I, I think... I think he felt a little more free to get a little more wilder as the series progressed, but certainly in, in a lot of these issues, like in the early, you know, first couple of years, like, I mean, there's, there's a sense of, you know, the character is getting a little more wild, you know, his costume is, he's a little more comfortable in his own skin. You know, he's not just a, a character in tights wearing a mask, which is sort of how he first starts out. And at this point, you know, he's kind of in the leather coat and he kind of lets his hair run wild and, and he looks a little yeah. more street. You know, and, and so I think as the series progressed, like, it, you know, the art might have gotten a little more. Yeah, it did, didn't, didn't he, like, originally have, like, slicked back hair, and then he, like, had the wild mane that he has yeah. now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, you know, there there's definitely, like, moments like that, but I, I, I enjoy the art. I mean, I, I think he does a good job, and, you know, in some sense, you know, it's kind of like how they always say, like, you know, if you draw Batman, you know, Gotham City is a character. Well, I, I mean, I think the same could be said oh, yeah. for a real city like New Orleans. And, and, and just like you kind of mentioned, oh, well, that drawing, you know, might not be a perfect representation of Steven Tyler, but you get the idea that it's Steven Tyler. I, I'd say the same holds true for New Orleans. I mean, you, you know, it's not, it might not be photo accurate, realistic or whatever, but you, you get the idea he's in New Orleans, like he's a, he's a jazz musician you know like all those kind of things so i i definitely you know appreciate it myself what, what about you before we move on justin like do you have any other final thoughts or anything you want to sort of share with the class i i didn't have get a grip my cousin had it so like i whenever we would play like <laughs> nintendo or later on like playstation like that's that's like what i think of when i think of that album i, I think of like you know playing video games with my cousin kind of like i think that was like my first like exposure to aerosmith but as for the comic like yeah like i i like the art i like the atmosphere of the comic and i kind of i kind of am curious about more shadow man so i might check out more of that cool cool two other books you might like just to uh kind of jump on derek's bandwagon because i did read some valiant i didn't read it but i know it got a lot of praise for me i would suggest exo man of war it is a really fun comic and also, I don't know if Derek read it, but I heard Harbinger was really good. I, I have mixed feelings about Harbinger, but I'm I'm not going to say it's not a good, well-written book. 
and but I will definitely get your back on Exo Manowar. I mean, you know, essentially it's it's Conan in an Iron Man armor. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 basically what the the pitch is, and and it's it's actually a a really I I think of of all the the characters, I think that character is the one that I dove headfirst into Valiant with, and it's probably the one that I stuck with the longest. Like I know I mentioned, I kind of. Fell, fell by the wayside with Shadow Man somewhere in the mid-20s, but I, I can tell you, like, you know, once I read that first trade and, you know, basically bought all the issues up into the teens, like, I stayed with the book until it was in, like, the, I don't know, like, the mid-60s or something like that. I'm about to say, it, like, it almost, like, ran to, like, 70s or something like that, yeah. It, it went for a while, yeah. yeah. yeah so. uh, Arik is a really cool character. I think you would like him, Justin. But that's all I got. <laughs> So my choice is Kiss Psycho Circus number one from Image Comics, written by Brian Hogan, pencils by Angel McNeil, and has a street date of August 1997. And basically the story opens with this kind of weird circus rolling into a small town in West Virginia. And we see our main character, Adam Moon. He's hanging out with his friends, and because they live in a small town, they're bored to death, and they decide, you know, let's go check out this circus. It's probably going to be lame, but it's going to be better than, you know, sitting on our bus or, or whatever. And so as they're, like, perusing the circus and walking around, Adam encounters, like, some very weird characters. He, well, first he sees this girl he knows that he's kind of, like, had a little crush on, even though he denies it. And as he's kind of, like, looking at her, he meets this kind of short grotesque clown and this clown kind of offers him some unsolicited love advice which he kind of like you know brushes off he's like you know whatever clown like you know i'll do whatever i want and then like one of his like stupid dumb friends is like poking at this line with a stick and then we see this like this like totally like ripped line tamer guys like you know he's like get out of here and then and then as he's like leaving that, he almost runs into the circus performer who's like wearing these like weird like skeletal looking stilts. And then from that, he like runs into the circus master. He's like, you know, quit dawdling, kid, like get in here. The show's about to start. And then as soon as he enters the big tent, we see all of these four characters, but kind of like, you know, hovering above them, we see like the four members of KISS, which for whatever reason, 
who, you know, if you don't know who they are, I will tell you. You have Gene Simmons, the demon, who is vocals and bass guitar. You have Paul Stanley, the star child, who is also vocals and rhythm guitar. You have Ace Freely, who is lead guitar, and he's kind of known as like the spaceman or sometimes the celestial. And on drums, you have Peter Chris, who is usually known as the Catman. And in other comics, he's kind of referred to as the Beastman, but usually the Catman. But anyway, after seeing like these like looming figures like kind of hovering over these like weird characters he met, he's uh, he's met. He like freaks out and he kind of runs out of the circus tent, only to hear his name being called from a fortune teller's tent. And the fortune teller kind of like is kind of being very vague and mysterious, telling him that you know he needs to like face like all these like you know demons and he has to like make a choice and of course like being a dumb kid he's like kind of confused he looks into this like crystal ball and like he kind of like we get this kind of like weird little sequence where he's kind of like it, it it seems like looking into the crystal ball is kind of like he's like looking into the abyss and like all the bad things that have happened into his life kind of like hit him like all at once or we kind of like Leading on to the fact that his sister has died, his dad is kind of an alcoholic who kind of basically beats him on a regular basis. So when he's kind of, kind of confronted with all these images from the crystal ball, again he freaks out and leaves, only to discover that several hours have passed, it's now night, so he leaves the circus. And as he leaves the circus, we see the ringmaster, and the ringmaster's eyes start to glow, and he's like, oh, not again, and he's like freaking out, he bursts into flames, and he goes to the, like this kind of like it's almost like a weird like almost a werewolf transformation like you see in like an old universal movie but he turns into like this kind of hulking armor clad figure and his head is on fire and then we follow adam again he's sneaking into his house he's trying to be as quiet as possible because he doesn't want to wake his dad he ends up like stepping on the tail of his cat which wakes up his dad and his dad like goes completely off and while we don't see it, we kind of get the gist that his dad is like, he's so angry that his son is sneaking in the house like he like decides to take it out on him. And then the comic kind of ends with Adam's in his room. He's like writing in his journal about how you know, kind of like typical teenager stuff. He, you know, he wants to get out of this place. You know, he has like the typical like teenage longing and stuff. And then he hears this tapping on his window. And one of his friends kind of is like trying to like get him to like skip out of the house and like, you know, kind of like cheer him up or go have some fun. And then the comic ends with the demon kind of like, I guess he's like looking at Adam and his friends are leaving. And it's like this full page spread of like, you know, Gene as a demon, like his tongue hanging out. And it's like, you know, to be continued. And that is Kiss Cycle Circus number one. I guess we'll start with like the band Kiss. I was always kind of like, <laughs> I was always fascinated by the band. And, you know, it was, I'll, I'll be honest, it was the costumes. I was like, what is this? Is this like a superhero thing? And of course, you know, they would get later get into comics and stuff and have toys in like the 70s. But I was like, kind of like drawn to their costumes. I was like, what is this? What it was is like, you know, because my uncle like collects everything. He had some of the Kiss albums from the 70s. And I was looking at these. I was like, whoa, like this, what is this? This looks awesome. And then I kind of like, clued in on to the fact that like bands like Kiss and then guys like Alice Cooper were kind of considered weird and maybe kind of a, a bit satanist. Yeah, satanic. <laughs> so that kind of like 
made me even more curious about it. <laughs> uh, now I like it more. <laughs> yeah, because I knew it was like, you know, kind of forbidden. I was like, whoa, like they're superheroes. And, you know, they have like these weird costumes. You know, it's like it's there's music that I'm probably not supposed to listen to. So, of course, I did anyway. And uh, so I was always kind of like, you know, I like Kiss. But I didn't really get into the band until the album Psycho Circus came out. What I didn't learn until I was like doing research for the show was like this comic came out before the album. Like this comic came out almost a full year before the album. Like I, I didn't know that. I just assumed it was like, you know, the comic and the album and then later the toys. Like I assumed this was all like released. You know, in conjunction with the album. Like a huge tie-in, yeah. I was reading something online and it said, that, you know, like, Gene said that, like, the Psycho Circus was just going to be, like, a theme for, like, their tour. And then they decided, like, oh, oh, like, this, this like, reunion farewell tour is, like, going really great. Let's, like, try to make an album. And they just decided, you know, like, oh, let's, let's do the Psycho Circus thing. Isn't this when they had just recently gone back to the makeup? Because for a while they were doing non-makeup for a while. Right. Sometime in the 80s, I forget exactly when, there was an album called Unmasked, I think. And basically, they decided to finally take off the makeup and do music with, you know, no makeup, no costumes or anything. And, you know, yeah, it, quite a while, like in, I think in the late 80s, they were pretty much sans makeup. They didn't, you didn't really hear from Kiss for a while. And then, like, the original members got back together because, like, they, they had kind of drifted. They got rid of Peter Chris, I know. Yeah, there were there were a lot of like problems with Peter and Paul Stanley. I mean, no, not Paul Stanley, Ace Freely. Ace. Yeah, they had problems with Peter, Ace. But they got back together for a farewell tour, and then they decided to do this. Like I said, this is where I, this is like where I like really got into got into the band. Like you know, just dived in. I found this comic. I used to go to this antique show in Knoxville. It was like the third weekend of every month. It was like this huge two story building. It was like full of like you know just basically anything and everything you can imagine. And there was a lot of like comics people there. And I remember there was always this one guy. He was always set up by like the emergency exit. I don't know why I remember that, but like I just remember he was like I think he was I think it's like his setup was like broken up by the emergency exit for some reason. And it's like, you know, if you if there was an emergency you'd have to like jump over like a pile of like, you know, some, like, <laughs> crappy like Marvel toys or whatever. But like he, he had a spinner rack. And what I liked about it was this guy also owned a comic shop, and usually oh. on the spinner rack was, like, I think it was the stuff that, like, he ordered too much of, and, like, after about a month, <laughs> he could, like, put his overstock on this spinner rack. So sometimes I would get stuff, like, you know, maybe 50 cents or a dollar cheaper or something, and I remember, like, spinning the rack around one day, and I was like, whoa, Kiss Psycho Circus number one? Like, cool, like, I'm going to get this. So I got it. You know, Derek was asking me earlier about this series, and I actually – I've only ever read maybe four or five issues from this series because it was kind of hard for me to find. Like I don't I don't remember finding very many issues of Kiss in my area. So like I've, I've read this one. I don't think I'd ever read issue two until, until I was like getting ready for this podcast because I was like, well, I want to know what happens because some of the stuff in the comic is really kind of vague. You're like, okay, like so Kiss have like these alternate – identities at the circus yeah they're also like the band members you know derek was asking me about that and i was like you know i've read other kids comics like some of the dark horse stuff and some of the idw stuff where it's like it seems like that's kind of a, a theme where it's like like there was one series where like gene is like a businessman but he also has like his identity of the demon and like you know 
the band will come together and fight demons, or, you know, evil demons or something. And it seems like that's kind of like a reoccurring thing. But yeah, like I was a really big fan. Like I remember, like I didn't have the album until a few a few years later. But what I did was like I, I remember the single. I remember Psycho Circus. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm like, hey, kids, remember, like, when you could, like, record something from the radio onto, like, a cassette tape? Like, that's how I had, like, <laughs> that's how I had Cycle Circus. Like, I recorded it from the radio onto, like, a cassette tape, and I would listen to it. The other thing that I wanted to bring, bring up is, like, Cycle Circus was, like, a kind of, like, a big deal. Like, I, the thing I remember is, like, Kiss was everywhere when this, like, album came out. Like there was like a house. Uh, again, not to not to bring up like you know it again, but Wizard was promoting it pretty heavily too. Yeah, yeah, there was like a special insert in Wizard that was like totally like promoting the comic and the band. Like I still have that somewhere. Like I, I remember like getting that and I was like, oh, this is cool. But like there was like a Halloween show, like I think '98, and it's like the Smashing Pumpkins opened for Kiss. I was like, whoa, that's awesome because I I really like the Smashing Pumpkins. Too. <laughs> And it was like, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins were playing and then Kiss came out and like, you know, they did like a couple of songs or whatever. And then after that, like, I don't know if you guys remember this, but like Kiss was on an, uh, an episode of Millennium. Don't remember that. Wow, really? Okay. Remember that, Derek? No, I, I to be honest, I don't. Like, I, I know my dad loves that show and it's like I've seen episodes of it, but I can't say I've seen like all three seasons. So. That, that. Mm. That's it, that's the Lance Hendrickson show, right? Yeah, I mean, okay. Like you know, on this series, like he would some kind of he he would like get these visions sometime. And what I thought was funny is like his vision on the episode, he was like trying to find some killer or something, and it was like it was just these really like quick cut flashes of like each member of the band with like Psycho Circus playing, and then like his reaction, he was kind of like he cocked his head back and he was like, "What?" <laughs> and I was like. I was like, dude, he's gonna like try and like track down Kiss and arrest him. Like, whoa, <laughs> he's gonna kill Kiss. No, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I thought this was I thought this was an interesting read. Like that, I've always been a fan of Angel Medina's art, even back to like you know Warlock and the Infinity Watch. So I've always enjoyed. Yeah, that. but it, it's it's he's a good guy, it's, yeah. it's interesting how. Like, cause, cause McFarlane's the one that made the Psycho Circus toys, right? Yeah. Like, so, uh, cause this I is actually, like I actually had some of those. I, I had I had the star I had the Star Child and the Ringmaster. Cause, cause the the interesting thing about those toys, not to jump in before you've gone your idea, is like they they did that thing where they had Justin. You had to like clarify which ones are which, cause I, I I read it but I like forgot. But like they had the Ringmaster and they also had like the Kiss member and like they had like them as that circus performer and it was like actually a, a pretty popular toy line they actually sold really well yeah yeah i mean i guess all i was going to get to was it's interesting that tony brings up that valiant was perceived as having a house style because i feel like with a lot of these mcfarland image books i always see a lot of the same stuff even though he got a lot of really great artists to work on his books because it's like Greg Capullo and Angel Medina are both really great artists, and I would not ever really characterize them as being, you know, McFarlane, you know, clones or anything like that. But in terms of the way the book is McFarlane-esque, yeah. But in, in terms of the way the book is structured, though, I mean, you've got these pages with with panels, and I, I think it does fall into some of those tropes that I hate about reading 
Spawn McFarlane books, or, or even, you know, all the way up to, you know, more recent stuff like Kirkman and him doing Haunt, where, like, there are certain panels, but then sometimes there's, like, 40 dialogue boxes or, like, 40 narration boxes <laughs> on a single splash page to kind yeah. of fill you in on what's going on. And, it, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's like, that to me seems like kind of a house style of a McFarlane-type book. And, and I was kind of like, oh, this is like, this is like essentially like, you know, Todd, you know, without it actually being Todd McFarlane doing it, you know, this is kind of like, you know, those Todd McFarlane image era books, but with Kiss, essentially, you know, or, or at least these sort of, as we're describing them, these kind of anthology tales that, that happen to feature an interpretation of Kiss as kind of like these, these, I, I don't know what to call them. They're, they're, they're kind of like these, these spiritual deities or something guides. you know yeah guys you know yeah. yeah so but yeah I, well i think that's like also an image mandate at the time that's why i said valiant had a house style because they they did panel by panel and it seemed for a long time it didn't even matter if it was mcfarlane or if it was rob liefeld and his like you know like myron michaels guy you know jim lee and like mark silvestri it always seemed to be that the image was more important make a really cool you know drawing and then, oh, we have to tell a story. Uh, let's put some, you know, fucking, you know, thought bubbles and shit in there so people know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt like I, I kind of could empathize with the, the protagonist, you know, the kid Adam. You know, like you, you, yeah. you, you're kind of like, okay, like you've all been a teenager, you've all kind of had the hots for a girl before, and then to find out that you know he's kind of got a not so good family life. I, I can't say I can relate to that personally, but I can at least empathize and kind of go, well, geez, if that was going on with me and uh, if I was afraid to walk into my own home and, and, and it was at the risk of getting smacked upside the head and punched in the face and getting a black eye from, from a dad, you know, like... Uh, obviously you wouldn't wish that on anybody and 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 speaking to what justin said i mean obviously the first issue gives you a taste but you do kind of feel like what the fuck did i just read like let me read the second issue and kind of get the, yeah that's, get, where, that's get, where it gets more anthology get, yeah. you know get the whole picture of what exactly is going on and and even though i i feel like i did sort of get the whole picture of what was going on because i did end up reading the second issue i i don't know that i can articulate like you know i i was just having trouble you know spiritual guides spiritual deities i you know i don't know exactly what to call them but i i do have trouble articulating what kiss is in in this series of books and and in addition to speaking of um derek yes. they, they are the four layers of the cosmos uh duh <laughs> i mean i mean speaking to what justin's saying i i i thought maybe this was like i mean i i guess you know i'm probably the most ignorant of kiss on this show like the, the things that i remember about kiss was you know i i remember you know, Bill and Ted's bogus journey, you know, like I remember God gave rock and roll to you, you know, like in, in that soundtrack, you know, and, and then, you know, beyond that people's fascination with kiss, I felt like I was exposed to more than having the fascination myself, if that makes any sense. Like 
I, you know, I, I remember like, no, I, no, I agree. I, 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 I never hated Kiss, but I, I never got into them that much. I'm not gonna lie. They, they have good songs, but no, I think I think, no Aerosmith. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I think the music is great. It's just like one of those things where I felt like, yeah, I felt like Weezer singing about Ace Freely is more ingrained into my lexicon. Or, or, or to, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, to drop, you, you remember how we had Ron Sadowski on, on the show before, like his buddy, Scott yeah. Reifen, who, who does the dinner for geeks podcast, like he's a huge kiss fan. So like, it's like one of those things where it's like, I feel like when, when you say kiss, I think of like Weezer singing about Ace Freely and Scott Reifen and Bill and Ted's bogus journey more than I think about their actual albums or anything else. I think when, when Justin mentioned he was getting into this and, and kind of wanting to bring this comic on the show, it made me a little curious about Kiss comics in general. And and I sort of checked out like the, yeah, the yeah. Marvel super special with Kiss, which again yeah, is, yeah. is completely different from this. Like they're they're in, in like in like the seventies. It was like back in the seventies, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's like they're they're just kind of regular dudes and then, like they're they're they they become like these kind of superheroes when they transform into, you know, Kiss basically. Kiss. And it's like yeah. it's like they they end up fighting with like Doctor Doom and Mephisto and like all this crazy stuff, you know. So it's like I, I guess it it must be interesting to be a Kiss fan and kind of see all these different kind of interpretations and incarnations of these stage personas, you know, because that's. clearly they're all very different you know like the the marvel version they were kind of very super heroic in in this oh yeah in this image version i mean it's very you know spawn-esque it's kind of mysterious it's kind of twisted and creepy and 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 you kind of don't exactly know if they're they're good or evil or what you know like they they're they're just kind of they're, they are. They have, they have, they have, they have kind of a, a crypt keeper vibe. You yeah, know, they're yeah, they're yeah. they're telling a story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will I will say like just so to, to clarify, Justin, just because I never got into Kiss, I will never ever say that they are not a huge cultural pop icon. Like Gene Simmons is usually given credit for being, I guess you would say, the silent partner in it, even though he doesn't like is not the front man. He is pretty much the front man. When you think of of Kiss, you think of Gene Simmons, and. One thing that makes me laugh so much is they have made a huge merchandising and like, you know, a huge like empire off Kiss. But it's it's a good empire. Like when I listen to their songs, I'm like, okay, that's a good song. You know, like Justin said earlier, you know, I want to rock and roll all night and party every that's a good song. That's a good anthem. And then I look at somebody like ICP. I fucking hate ICP. Me too. <laughs> they are ki- yeah, they're Kiss wannabes. They're, they they don't do it right. I don't like them, and like I would much rather hang out with someone from the Kiss Army than the fucking jug of fucking Lowe's any day yeah. of the week. Like, it's like God. Two two of my like old buddies from high school, like they're huge ICP fans, and like they drove me crazy because like for like a year, like we we lived like really close to each other, so we would always hang out. And we'd usually like end up like grilling food outside and like drinking all night or whatever and listening to music. Yeah. And you know, I I'll be honest, like I'll listen to probably anything as long as it's not country or rap. Like I don't like those kinds of music. Anything in between, like yeah. Kiss, Metallica, like Fiona Apple, Bjork, 
Queen, David Bowie, the Beatles, like, love all of it. I listen to any of it you put it on. But, like, I just yeah. got so tired of, like, having to, like, grit my teeth and listen to, like, those ICP albums. Like, I finally just, like, got up one night after, like, that my, my friend, like, passed out. So I got up very quiet. I took his CD out of the CD player. I got his other, <laughs> I got his other like albums, and I hid them from him. And he like, <laughs> so like the next night when we're like, we're ready to like you know go again, he got the he was like yeah time for some music and he was like uh, where's my album? <laughs> and he started to freak out. He was I mean he was like freaking out. He's like where's my albums? What have you done with them? He was like talking to his wife. He's like where are these at? And she's like I don't know. He's like, I don't want to listen to that shit. <laughs> so like, I mean, he was like, he was like tearing the entertainment center apart. He was like throwing CDs and video games and all this stuff. He's like, where are they? And finally, like, I, I was getting ready to like move away to another state. <laughs> so, Here you go, bitch. <laughs> yeah, like I was finally, I was like, hey, your CDs, they're like underneath the entertainment center. Like, you're gonna have to like move it out from the wall and like carefully like get him out from under there and he just looked at me he's like you fucking bastard he's like i hate you <laughs> look you're my friend but your taste in music sucks yeah. oh god yeah i yeah i, I yeah i just, I just it, it's like that is like what i always say it's like when i look at kiss they they they, they i mean they're they're kind of a promotional band they do play their own album you know play their own instruments and they can sing and they can actually put on performance but when I see ICP, I'm just like, I, I know ICP has a couple of comics. Never going to cover them on my end. I don't know if you two want to <laughs> like fucking try to tackle that shit. I, I can read a Kiss comic and be like, okay, the, the Psycho Circus is weird. It's trippy. The, the art is amazing. It's trippy uh, again. But, you know, at least when I read this, I'm like, okay, that's a comic book. If I read an ICP comic book, I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to like shove my nuts in a meat grinder because here we go. I'm going to read this shit. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's how I felt, like, any time, like, we were hanging out, and, like, he'd be like, let's listen to this. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, uh, at the end of the day, send all your angry uh, ICP comments to uh, Fanholes Podcast at gmail.com. But ICP then, sucks. Fuck off. <laughs> and then when I get those emails, I'm going to take them, and I'm going to hide them somewhere, and I'll never find them. <laughs> we're going to put it under my entertainment system. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never see them again. Yeah, just, but but back back to the comic. I, I did read it. Yeah, it, it is weird. It is really trippy. It's it's strange, but that's that's what Kiss is. That's what they bring to the table. Even if you know who they are, you know, if you know, like you know, Gene Simmons was you know originally Hyam. You know, he's like a fucking Jewish kid. Kiss is just beyond like a pop culture thing. There's 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 bands like you know the Kiss Army, who who make their own fucking costumes to sing like them and like perform on stage. They are cultural icons. And when they actually, you know, do the, the, the effort to like, you know, say like, Hey, we'll let you do a comic and you read it. And the art is good. The story is it, it, I mean, like Derek said, it's a little disjointed, but it's not bad. I mean, it makes sense. You just have to kind of go into the, the mythos, if you will. I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, you know. Like the the art is 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 very you know image, but you know that I mean that's that's just between image and valiant, and also you know Nightcat, not a lot of butts, you know that that that's a shame. But I didn't really want to see Gene Simmons' butt, so I'm okay on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I, I was kind of shocked at just how many issues Psycho Circus ran for. Like, I, I think I was mistakenly under the impression that maybe, you know, it was a miniseries or something. I didn't realize, like, how just how many Psycho Circus comics there were, you know? Like, I think it went up into, like, the, what, like, the mid-30s or something. And I was like, wow, like, there, there are a lot of these, like, you know? Yeah. I, well, I, I think like it's what Justin said. I think when they came back with the face paint, and they were like they were being kissed, and like that, there was there's there's always been this fan base, and it was just like you know crazy time in the '90s, and like they just you know, again they're very smart. They're very smart people. You know this band, they know how to like not just put out music but market themselves, and people want to kiss. You know Justin want to kiss, so you know it's like. We got Kiss, you know, I was like, what does it say? You know, I was like, uh, what's it Gene says? You know, I was like, you wanted the best, you're going to get the best. You know, like I, I remember watching like, a, I think it was like a VH1 behind the makeup. It was like a two hour thing. I remember watching that and being completely enthralled by that. But like in, in a happy like coincidence, I totally didn't plan this, but like there, there is a new like Kiss comic from Dynamite that's been released. Oh, cool. Is there like a subtitle or is it just Kiss? Just Kiss. I actually haven't read it yet. I've got it, but I was like, I've been putting it off. I've, I've been reading like other stuff, but I probably will check it after out uh, now. What What is the original idea that a lot of the uh, propaganda said uh, wasn't supposed to mean killers in service of Satan? Okay, here's another story. Yeah, so like, okay. you know, I, I think this is especially true if, like, you live, like, anywhere in, like, the Bible Belt. But, like, you know, like, uh, I remember, like, there was this one kid, like, stupid kid. And I remember he was always going on. He was, like, uh, he was one of those, like, know-it-all guys. And I don't remember what exactly, like, led into this. I just remember overhearing he was, like, talking about Kiss. And I'd heard this, too. Like, or, or, or at least, like, in my neck of the woods, supposedly it stood for Knights and Satan's Service. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I um, set up, sorry. Like, I, I knew that wasn't true because I'd read, like, interviews yeah. from Gene where he's like, no, that's, like, bull, it doesn't mean that at all. So this, like, this dude, like, starts, like, going on about Kiss, and I'm like, so, like, my ears perked up, and he starts going on about that. He's like, you know what that means for, even that, they're, like, knights in Satan's service, like, that's what they are, like, they're they're awful, like, don't read them, you'll, like, go to hell forever. And, like, I jumped up, I think I was in the middle of art class, I jumped up, and I was like, you don't know shit! <laughs> I was like, that's not what it said for. And, like, he just, like, he was completely blindsided by that. Like, he did not expect anybody to, like, challenge him, especially, like, you know, on Kiss. He was like, what? I was like, that's not what it stands for. He's like, oh, but uh, my cousin said, I was like, your cousin don't know shit, neither do you. Like, I've read interviews, <laughs> I was like, I've read interviews, mister, and, like, that doesn't, that's not what it means at all. And he just, like. Kind of like he was like <laughs> he shut the fuck up, crawl back into his hole. <laughs> he's like he's like okay, and then he didn't say anything else. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's really funny because like I'm, I'm, I know Derek remembers this. There was there was a kid in the 1980s who like fucking blew half his face off because he said Judas Priest when he played it backwards made him want to kill himself. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm sorry you blew your face off. I mean, you know, I mean that's 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 pretty fucking terrible. But if a fucking song, if you play it backwards, is going to make you blow your face off, you're not a very strong individual. You're you're, you're very susceptible to hearing things you want to hear. And I, I've always thought Kiss as one thing, a rock band. They're a fucking goddamn rock band. They play instruments. They have a persona. And yeah, oh, is it evil? Is it creepy? Yeah. 
on purpose. Is it going to make you kill yourself? Is it going to make you like follow Satan? No, if you have half a fucking brain. It, it, it's music. You interpret yeah. it how you want. You know, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's fucking. Yeah, you, you guys probably remember this, but like I remember like when Marilyn Manson showed up on the scene and people were freaking out about that. Oh, yeah. And it, like in my head, I was like, well, I don't see how he's that much different from like Alice Cooper or Kiss. So like I just, you know, it, like it was nothing to me. I was like, well, I like his music. You know, he's a little weird, but like, you know, whatever. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a persona, you know, it's like, you know, any other thing like for whatever reason people like latched onto that for you know their own and tried to like freak people out i guess yeah and and, and at the end of the day it's like i would much rather enjoy a comic by kiss that was endorsed by them i know they didn't write it or do the art obviously but i I would much rather enjoy that mythos and enjoy the fantasy because that's what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a fantasy is kiss like evil demons in, in you know invading our world well, yeah, Gene probably. He's he's known as the demon. But then you have the Star Child. He's supposed to be like the good guy. You know, you have like these like opposing forces playing in a band. That's fucking awesome. That's like, you know, fucking Mephisto and like Thor playing in the same rock band. Well, that's what I was about to say. I was about to say to, to Justin, like, I would have been like, yeah, you don't know shit. See this panel right here? He's fighting fucking Mephisto. Thanks. Well, that's <laughs> total bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it, it's, it's like people get so wrapped up in themselves they can't understand what fun is it's like it's fu- fucking fun it's like why why i mean if i had the balls i wish i had the balls i wish i had the balls to walk out on stage with a fucking bass guitar shaped like an axe in full like fucking body armor it's not real it's fucking goddamn plastic and you know plexiglass have my face painted up and be like a different persona and have the confidence to like, you know, flick my tongue out and be like, ah, you know, give her a kiss. God, that would be amazing. And like, Jesus Christ, you know, at the end of the day, Gene Simmons has fucked so many women that like, that is amazing. So yeah, shut the fuck up, nerds. <laughs> He's cool. <laughs> uh, awesome. That's probably, that's probably the best place to take this out on. <laughs> Together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron, dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind, it's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. I will let everybody know that if they have any comments, questions, or concerns, as as was mentioned, if you are the, the insane clown posse fanboy and you want to send some angry, scathing emails, you can reach us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We definitely hope you've enjoyed listening to Comics, Motherfucker, Do You Read Them? Which is one of our many spinoff shows. We also have other spinoff shows, such as Big in Japan, where we talk about anime, Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, 
Transformers Tuesdays and Mobile Suit Mondays. And of course, we've got our Fan Holes podcast proper. You can check out all of our backlog of episodes over at the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. We're on all kinds of social media like Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So we appreciate all the notes and likes and tweets and feedback and all that good stuff. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek. Derek WC, signing off. Hey, this is Justin. Uh, my cousin also said the fan holes are in Satan's service, too. <laughs> this is Tony at... Like, your cousin doesn't know shit. Derek punched Mephisto in the face. <laughs>